Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 15 of this year uh, of The uh, Informed Catholic. So uh, we're going to continue the articles from Voyage Magazine, um, Voyage Comics, actually, forgive, forgive me, Voyage Comics Publishing. They're a Catholic, uh, Christian-based comic book company they uh focus on really good stories they're trying to bring comics to what comics used to be uh story driven plot driven um with uh good themes and uh i wish them success and i hope they are because one day i uh hope to publish my own and uh, who knows, maybe I might get a chance to publish it with Voyage Comics. The comic book industry has suffered a great deal uh, long before the COVID pandemic shut down. If you uh, look at the sales, Marvel and DC, and uh, their sales have dropped. Um, if you're familiar with the comic book publishers, um, the... Um, Dark Horse Comics, they've been mostly selling uh, manga, uh, anime manga comics. Uh, the Japanese com uh, comic books have been selling. That is basically all Dark Horse sells. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's very well written. Uh, you may not agree with the stories completely, but they're... Um, a lot of their stuff is like Ronin, Japanese samurai stories. Um, they're also, um, you know, they have like these epic stories, basically. You know, um, that is basically what people are buying now. The superhero um, element has so fragmented and it's driven by left-wing politics, woke politics, gender ideology, um, basically social justice ideology. It's bad. I mean, the Batman comics are still selling well with DC, but Marvel, basically what they've gone through is they've... Um, this basically goes back further. It goes back to the Watchmen comics. If you're familiar, there was the Watchmen movie. And the Watchmen comics came out of the uh, the mind of Alan Moore. And Alan Moore had a, a very uh, nihilistic attitude. Uh, he basically really didn't care for the superhero. He, he deconstructed a superhero. He turned to the point where you couldn't tell who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. He had a very negative view about about uh, patriotism, about uh, right and wrong, basically. He put rape in the comic book. He put... Um, he basically deconstructed the character where he, uh, there was a character named Roshak and Roshak is basically was a model of, uh, the famous comic book artist, Steve Ditko. He was the one who 
was the earliest uh, artist who drew Spider-Man. And Steve Ditko got into the Anne Ryan philosophy, um, basically where, you know, it's very complicated to get into that. But the point is, Rorschach was a model of that. Right is right and wrong is wrong and there are no shades in between. It's very absolutist um, uh, view about justice. Uh, it, and, you know, it kind of was a mock, a mock of it. And then, of course, you had the character called the comedian who was absolutely a psychopath, loved war, loved violence, uh, raped a character uh, in the comic book. Uh, there was also this character of, um, uh, of, you know, other characters in there that was kind of like, um, uh, what was it? There was one character, the big blue character, Dr. Manhattan, excuse me, Dr. Manhattan, who was a, uh, a scientist who got, what do you call it, uh, infused with this atomic power and almost godlike, but became very indifferent to humanity. Uh, and, you know, um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, it was homosexuality. It played with a lot of stuff, but you couldn't, you didn't like them. The point is about the superheroes characters, you couldn't like them. They weren't really superheroes. They were a deconstruction of the superhero. They were basically breaking apart the superhero, taking the virtues and throwing them out the window. And they were completely shattered. It turned, you couldn't tell if this, who was the good guy and who was the bad guy. And that basically went went along with with the rest of the comic book. All the comic books began to imitate that. Eventually, at some point, you know, uh, like with Superman, truth, justice, and the American way, the American way went out the window. Now it's truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. And what does that mean? He, you, you just basically de uh, cut off the character from one of his basic goals. He was the American dream. He was the one who grew up in Kansas. He grew up in a small town. He was uh, bred on the milk of the American dream, the ideal of, of hope. And instead they, they, you know, like if you remember in the Man of Steel movies, they disconnected him from humanity from the human ideal. He was basically, what are you, What was he? He was a symbol of Moses, put on a craft, like a little boat, sent to earth, raised up by these two um, Midwestern Christians, Ma and Pa Kent. And he was bred on the, uh, the virtues of, of goodness, of trust, of loving your neighbor. He was also a symbol of the Christ. He was the only son of Krypton. All these things were our Christian virtues. Like in the last article, Superman fights the evil from without, while someone like Batman fights the evil from within. Um, 
basically it's the the two ways one focusing on preserving on keeping the evil from coming in and the other one is the penance the virtue of trying to cleanse to purify the evil from within which is what batman does and both of them are good and both of them are just meanwhile like someone like captain america they deconstructed him too they made him turn on the american dream the american ideal um they brought him down they made him into an agent of hydra they made him doubt his patriotism they made him go through all those things the character of captain america never had a chance to be a private citizen you know steve rogers was just a a scrawny little kid what we what do we see we have someone who goes into the sepulcher the that test he goes in as the weak little guy and then he winds up coming out resurrected as the ideal adam the ideal man he was jack kirby he was kind of jack kirby's play on the nazi propaganda of the superman again superman was also born from that too they're both born from that idea of Nietzsche's uh, the Superman. But Nietzsche's view and the Nazi view of the Superman was one who looked down on the weaker element of society. While Captain America is a man brought up and does not look down on the weaker element of society, he's one who willingly became strong kind of like a Christ-like thing and came back to help uh, the common man, the common American, uh, fighting evil both within and out. But he could be anyone. Anyone can become Captain America. Steve Rogers is, is every man's man, every American's Captain America. That way he's, that's what he's supposed to be. That's why you never really see what they did was they did try to use a, to bring a, um, more flesh and blood into Steve Rogers. They kind of made his father into an alcoholic who beat his mother and his mother infused these virtues of, uh, of, of the American ideal bread, uh, Milk fed him on all the good things about America. The Mark Twain. There was that one thing from the Civil War where, where she he read an article from Mark Twain. Regardless what the world says, what the media says, um, this is a paraphrase. You plant yourself by the root of 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 justice, and you make yourself into an unmovable tree. I'm paraphrasing, and when the world comes and tells you to move. You turn and you say, no, you move. I'm standing here. That is beautiful. I thought that was great. And these are, these are things we want about America. That's Captain America. That is Captain America. That is the American virtue, the American ideal. The problem was, is that the left doesn't like that. The left has to appropriate the character and destroy the character. And 
they did the same thing, basically, like you had the Miles Morales Spider-Man, which was successful, but I'm still a Peter Parker Spider-Man myself. I always will be. Uh, and the problem is, is that it's good, it's fine, but the problem was is that I think Michael Bendez, who created this, created it without... I mean, what he should have done was, I think personally, is that he should have created an original character. He should have created an original character. We we have a Spider-Man. We don't, we don't need another Spider-Man. I mean, Spider-Woman was created just simply to keep a copyright. But the Miles Morales Spider-Man is fine. But eventually, I think what's going to happen is it's just going to conflict. There's old people are always going to go back to the original Spider-Man. I will always go back to the original Spider-Man. I will always go back to Peter Parker. All right. And I think the problem is when you use all this race issue argument, it's going to divide people. Because I just don't see what the purpose is. What you need to do is create an original character that stands on its own. A good, a good example of this is Static Shock. All right? Which I'm sorry to say has not been... Um, he's been forgotten. I don't know why Static Shock has been forgotten. He was an African American kid with superpowers, but I don't. I think his problem was he hasn't been. He hasn't had a chance to have good writers to write a good story about him. Uh, I think instead he wound up becoming a a. Um, he wound up becoming, I think, sort of like sidelined and forgotten. Instead, you get writers like Michael Bendis, who comes along. And decides to take an established character and appropriate him. I'm going to use that word. You took a character that was established, decided to 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 um, ride on this character's back, give him a Afro-Hispanic identity, right? Miles Morales, and ride on the title of Spider-Man. Why? Why not just create an original character on his own? And I think the problem was there was that he couldn't. He couldn't come up with one. The story in itself has an original theme, but you already have a Spider-Man. Right? You already had someone who has been around for, for years, for decades, and you stole his title. You stole a title, uh, an established title, and decided to create something. And, you know, what happened was the so-called ultimate universe, which is an ultimate line, suddenly fell apart. Nobody cared about it anymore. And they merged this character into the same universe. This is what they do now. This, this, the, there's multi-universes. You see, they can't come up with anything, and they wind up merging characters um you know, to save the title, to save the character, they merge him into the main the mainstream universe. It's just silly. It's just silly. It just shows that they have no idea. They this is going to be a big thing now. 
Spider-Verse, uh, Spider-Man from this universe, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, the uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man merged together into one universe to bring them all together because they can't come up with any new stories. All right, um, let's go with this article and we'll, we'll, we'll then go back into uh, discussing the, 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 I would say, uh, creative problem. With, with the comic book industry. All right. This is by Voyage Comics, published by Voyage Comics, by Matthew Heffron. All right, Matthew Heffron. And it's called What Batman's Butler, Alfred, Can Teach Us About the Role of, of the Family in Today's World. In the Lego Batman movie, there is an exchange where Alfred asks Batman whether it is time to face his greatest fear. Lego Batman snakes, Alfred, no. Lego Batman clowns, Alfred, no. Lego Batman snake clowns, Alfred, Bruce, listen. Your greatest fear is being part of a family again. After a long pause during which Batman looks at some family portraits on the wall he turns and replies no now it's snake clowns because you put that idea in my head <laughs> since it is a lego movie this exchange is humorous a humorous caricature of the batman mythos but batman does sometimes appear as one of the more solitary of the mainstream superheroes while Superman, Iron Man, Green Arrow, Spider-Man, and so on have friends, spouses, co-workers. Batman has few connections that do not immediately relate to his mission. He is occasionally abrupt or even harsh with those he works with and is by nature distrusting even of his fellow superheroes. On the other hand, the majority of Batman stories involve him working with allies. In the comics, Batman's inner core of allies has varied slightly, but the idea of Nightwing, Robin, Batgirl, and a few others as a Bat family has been strong for several decades. In comics, the various animated DC series and the current DC Extended Universe movies, Batman is a key player in the Justice League, working alongside Superman, Wonder Woman, and others. Even in the 1960s Batman TV show, there was a Robin and a Batgirl. At various times, there has also been the Outsiders, Batman Incorporated, and so on. Batman's strong moral compass, his loyalty, and his leadership abilities have caused many people to look past his gruff approach to count him as a friend. One way in which Batman nonetheless seems alone is that he has no blood relatives. The myth of Batman is built on him being orphaned at a young age. He enters young adulthood with no parents, no siblings. During Grant Morrison's long run on Batman in the last issue of The Return of Bruce Wayne, Bruce says, the gunshots left me alone for years. I was alone in the echoing dark of, of that wall. However, he goes on to say, but something else defined the exact moment Batman was born. 
the first truth of Batman, the saving grace, I was never alone. The first truth of Batman, the saving grace, I was never alone. The issue pointedly leaves that thought open-ended with images of many Batman's current allies, but fans will recall that there is really only one person who has who was present at the moment Batman was born, someone that a more recent story arc, an all-star Batman referred to the first ally. Alfred has been present in most different incarnations of Batman, and most times in all continuities, Alfred is providing vital assistance, ranging from advice to his medical abilities to saving as dispatch switchboard he does this all while simultaneously carrying out his traditional butler roles of, of serving dinner, driving the car, and maintaining the appointment book. In recent, in the recently concluded TV series, Gotham sought to explore the dynamic between Alfred and Bruce earlier on. When Bruce was still a minor, and thus Alfred was also his guardian, St. Joseph is a faintly echoed in how Alfred must be both the foster father and the servant. There's no parallel to Gotham for the Holy Family. We know very little about the time between the Nativity and the time Christ entered his public ministry. However, the few scenes we do see are instructive. First, when the visit of the Magi draws King Herod's attention to the activities in Bethlehem, St. Joseph acts promptly to protect his family. Second, Joseph is monitoring security issues in the homeland. He knows when it's safe to return. Third, by age 12, Joseph is confident in Jesus' ability to fend for himself since he is initially unconcerned about not seeing him in the in the caravan when they leave Jerusalem. Finally, though, even though he, finally, though, even though he knows Jesus is the Son of God, he does not go back to make sure he is safe, eventually finding him in the temple. In all these glimpses, we see Joseph's strong concern for ensuring he would provide a safe environment for his family. By the time Jesus does, does enter his public ministry, it seems Joseph has passed away, as he does not appear anywhere during the, the preaching, teaching, or miracles, nor during the Passion. Mary, on the other hand, stands at the foot of the cross and then waits in the upper room. She must endure watching her son suffer and die to fulfill his purpose on earth. And this is also faintly echoed in Alfred. In many stories, we see gl glimpses of Alfred's pain as he patches up Bruce and must watch him go out again to risk everything for his mission and often to save people who are not grateful for those sacrifices. In Scott Snyder's new 52 run on Batman, there is a story arc where Bruce has, through a complex preceding series of events, forgotten that he is Batman. When Gotham needs him to begin again, he remembers something and goes to Alfred. Alfred initially asks him not to press. It's not, uh, not to press it, 
not not to look, not to give up being the person he could be without Batman's bird burdens, but only knows that to be who he is, Bruce cannot turn his back on his calling. And in that story, Bloom, through a process much like like a death and resurrection, Batman returns to save his people. Although these are very small echoes of the Holy Family, they point to balance that Christian families today also need to strike. We must, like St. Joseph, protect our young children from the dangers in our world. These include not just the, the physical dangers, but also the moral and psychological dangers that lurk in various places. We should actively monitor and be aware of these threats, and like Joseph, be prepared to take the vulnerable way from them. As children acquire maturity, like Joseph, we must help them begin to engage with more of, of the world. We need to prepare them and be ready to help if still needed. And then finally, like Mary, be ready to willingly offer them back to God for whatever calling has Whatever calling, I'm sorry, like Mary, be ready to willingly offer them back to God for whatever calling he has for them. Okay, the next, this is the last uh, paragraph here. The heroic family today, like Alfred, will protect and train and send out and then welcome back and heals its members. While our spouse, children, or siblings might not be putting on a mask and a utility belt, they still might be encountering darkness, challenges, or craziness in the world. Some food, first aid, and reassurance when they return home, whether delivered in a tuxedo or not, can help them continue living their vocation. If our households and churches could be a little more like Alfred, perhaps we would find we would also be just a little more like the Holy Family. And by doing so, perhaps we would send out a few more heroes into our world. Okay, this is actually very good. Uh, it's very good reflection. There's a beautiful photo here uh, from the Gotham series uh, showing the actor, I can't remember his name, uh, with the young uh, Bruce Wayne leaning on his shoulder. They look like they're camping. There's a tree behind them. It looks cold. Uh, they got sweaters on and uh, gloves. The, I, I actually like that Alfred. There's a, a wonderful scene where there's actually two scenes, actually. Um, there's a scene where uh, they're in court, I remember, and they're standing before a judge. And because Alfred was his is his butler, the... Um, this is from the Gotham series. And the um, the young Bruce told the judge that Alfred speaks for him. Alfred is his parent. He said he actually acknowledged Alfred as his father. And it was a, a, a moment of pride, of touching pride there. And that is true. And there's one scene where Alfred was talking to one of his colleagues, I guess, when he was in the a British agent or something. And he said to his friend that, um, that when it, when the boy entered his life, it changed everything. It changed his perspective and his view of the world. And that, that is a very 
good scene. I mean, you can imagine St. Joseph knowing that Mary and Jesus came under his guardian and protection. It changed him. It changed his whole perspective on the world. This is, this is something I think we have, to, we have to realize. Because we are still a Christian culture and our stories are inspired by the New Testament, by the Bible, by our Christian faith. We need to acknowledge this. And I think the problem is we let the secular society wants to push this aside. That's why they want to corrupt the family. They want to corrupt gender. It's, it's a satanic thing to destroy the image of God. The Holy Family is the image of the Trinity. All right? Joseph is a, a, an expression and an embodiment of God the Father. I remember someone said once, I think it was by probably Fulton Sheen, God had everything he had to say in the silent God the Father had everything he has to say in the silent manhood of St. Joseph. That is absolutely beautiful. It is absolutely the, the truth. God the Father had everything he had to say in the silent manhood of St. Joseph. While we know that Jesus is the incarnate word, the second person of the Trinity. It, and that is who Jesus is. And Mary is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. I know Protestants don't like hearing that, but let's be honest. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary. The word became flesh through her. She embodies and reflects the the Holy Spirit. We're not saying the Holy Spirit is a woman, but she is who 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 else came upon her, overshadowed her. All right? She is daughter of God the Father, mother to God the Son, God the Son, and her re- intimate relationship is with the Holy Spirit. This is reflected in 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 Christian ideology. Now, I'm not saying what am I saying? Here? Am I, I'm, I'm, I am digressing a little bit from the article here. But we have to remember, all our stories are Christ-like stories. All our heroes are Christian heroes. I mean, obviously, there's a title in the comic DC Comics where they call it Trinity. What is the Trinity? You have the image of Batman, you have Superman, and you have Wonder Woman. And they call the comic book Trinity. Our stories are models of our faith. Our stories are models of our faith. Even in Conan the Barbarian, as violent and as paganistic and as sensual as that comic book can be, Conan is battling dangers. He's battling, he's still a he's still he's a barbarian, a savage, but he's still a hero. He protects, he'll protect women, he'll protect families, he'll protect villages. As much as he tries to run uh, run away from civilization, you know, you can't have the character away from civilization. Even bikers and gangs find refuge in civilization. All right? 
They always going to find themselves around. They're going to find themselves in civilization. The the lone writer, the 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 cowboy outlaw, is always going to find him herself back in civilization, because they have to. People are defined by being around other people. All right, and you can't know what it means to be an outlaw unless you actually meet the law, meet civilization. Okay, you have to be around you you are not you're nothing if you're not around people. As much as someone wants to be a loner, you have to define yourself by by meeting people. That's the only way. And the same thing with all these gender people, they keep saying they they're they don't identify as female, but they 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 do not identify as male. But you have to identify yourself as something. All right, a man who is born a man does not identify with being a man, but he comes full circle again by becoming a fe- by becoming female by taking the appropriating the gender of female. Does that make any sense? I don't think so. It only shows that there is no sense there in this person. So we constantly now we're attacking the definition of family. We're attacking the definition of being a man and a woman. And that's why they have to destroy these stories. They have to destroy them because it goes against their theme. And we know that's not going to work. Because we're not going to let them take these stories from us. They're not going to let them take these definitions from us. Our heroes are expressions of who we are as a society. Our understanding of family is important. Our understanding of being a human being is important. It doesn't make any sense to allow this to be taken away from us. And because we can't sit on the sideline and let these things be taken away from us. We can't say anymore, I'm not going to get involved in this. Because guess what? Sooner or later, they're going to come to your doorstep. My favorite hero, Christian hero, is St. Thomas More. He was a man. He was an educated man. He was a a lawyer. He was a judge. He was a politician. He was an ambassador. He was a father. He was a husband. And he lived during the time of Henry VIII. And Thomas More understood the danger of of chaos, of rampant chaos in, in society. He understood it because he saw the madness of Henry VIII. Was it, I think him and Wolsey said something similar. Always tell a king what he ought to do, but not what he can do. For, a, for if a lion finds his true strength, nothing will stop him. And that's true. All right? He raised his family. He educated his daughters in a time when women weren't educated. He knew the importance of giving them that so they can take care of themselves and take care of their families. He knew this. All right? He knew he, he, he was a devout Catholic Some would say today probably fanatical to some people, but he was a devout Catholic and he knew, he knew what he had to do. He protected his family. He kept his family out of the king's court, 
away from the lust, the perversion, the poison that could destroy his family. He refused to have his children living in the, in the king's court. He refused to have his daughters exposed to that. And that, I think, is a man who is proof of a man who protects and loves his family. He died by saying, I am the king's good servant, but God's first. And he willingly, willingly let the, you know, uh, died for his faith, died for his beliefs, died for England. And to this day, we still remember him. To this day, he's never been forgotten. His churches, parishes are named after him. He has a feast day in the Catholic calendar. His books, Utopia, is still published. Many of his other books are still published. He still remembered him, and it was one bishop, one bishop that stood out from all the rest, John Fisher. And John Fisher defended family along along with Thomas More. He stood up against what he thought was a corrupt, tyrannical king, Henry VIII. Both men were beheaded, and both men are still remembered, and both men have their have their their uh their Memorial Day on the calendar, Catholic calendar, liturgical calendar. So both men died for their faith and for the truth. And that's those are heroes. Those are heroes. And there's also the Christian martyrs who Henry VIII terrorized and killed and slaughtered because they defied his 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 his, his madness. You have it. Those are heroes. And those are heroes that should be told and they're, they should be remembered. And we, we have Rome. We, we, we come up with heroes in fiction that model them. What about Joan of Arc? She, she's a saint and she's still remembered. She's still remembered this very day. We also have other saints like St. George who died for their faith. And we, we, we have models. Why do you think this whole thing in, in um, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, when um, Gandalf battles the Balrock, right? The Balrock, and he falls into the pit, a symbol of Christ fighting the devil, and a symbol of St. George. All these symbols of, and he falls in and battles him and, and comes back as Gandalf the White, the resurrected Christ. You know, that scene in the, um, the two towers where you have Aragon, Gimli, and um, Legolas when they go into the forest and then this, this flash of light and it's an image of the transfiguration where Christ took with him Peter, James, and John. And they couldn't look at the light, and it's Gandalf the light, the the, the 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 white. That is all taken from the Gospels. It's all taken from the lives of the saint. You know, Gandalf is also like Saint Michael battling Satan. These are things that we need we need to remember. We we will not escape these things. They will always be part of us. All right, let's move on to another article. Let me uh, give a little bio here of the author of this last article about what Alfred can teach us about the modern family. The, um, let me read up correctly. What Batman's butler, Alfred, can teach us about the role of family in today's world. This is by Matthew Heffron, and this is a little bio about him here. It's really pretty cool. 
Matthew Heffron is an Iraq veteran, Iraq war veteran, and, and an attorney. He lives with his wife and eight kids, God bless him, and his wife, in St. Paul, Minnesota, and loves Catholic tradition, practicing martial arts, riding motorcycles, and superheroes. Pretty cool. All right, so... Um, let me see if there's, there's another one here by him, because I would like to read a, another one by him. Uh, yes. All right, I'll read this one. This is the Dark Knight's Metal. <laughs> Interesting. Let's see. DC Comics series Dark Knight's uh, Metal, Knights with a K, provides some hope in the midst of darkness by Matthew Heffron. All right, let's read it. Um. Okay, Dark Knight's Metal was a DC Comics uh, event published as a monthly comic from June 2017 through April 2018, with trade paperbacks coming out in summer 2018. The core series is six issues from Scott Snyder and Greg Cabello, which are collected in a single volume. Two essential prelude issues, Dark Days, The Forge, and Dark Days, The Casting, can be found in Dark Days, the Road to Metal. Dark Knight's Metal builds upon Snyder's previous work and would probably be most enjoyed by those who have read his Court of Owls, Death of the Family, and Endgame arcs. There are also references back to Crisis on Infinite Earth, Infinite Crisis, especially Final Crisis, although it can certainly be enjoyed by those who have only minimal familiarity with those stories. It also builds upon certain ideas from the Batman, uh, from Batman, the, the, re, the Return of Bruce Wayne, Dream, from Neil Gaiman's Sandman series, also appears, but prior uh, knowledge of that character is not essential. Finally, while the metal comics from the use of metal substance as a plot element is also running pun with metal music. Interesting. In the prelude issues, the story begins like many good Batman stories. As a detective story, Batman is following clues related to a series of strange, otherworldly metals. These clues lead him to suspect the existence of a coming threat, something lurking in the dark unknown, and he goes to great efforts to look into the darkness to see what is out there, without much success for Batman. But the reader gets hints of what is coming. The main series launches with the Justice League off-world dealing with mostly unrelated threats. As they approach Earth, Alfred informs them of the sudden appearance of a of mountain uh, of a mountain in the middle of Gotham City. The Justice League begins to look into it together, but Batman abruptly takes off on his own, pursuing a lead. Batman ends up being pulled into the dark multiverse, a chaotic realm outside of the usual DC multiverse, where dreams and fears of of the real world comes to life. As soon as the real Batman is off the table, the reminder of the Justice League finds itself fighting with Nightmare Batman, twisted versions of Batman from failed worlds in the dark multiverse. As the heroes and their various allies fight back, the Nightmare Batman, uh, Bat Batman, excuse me, Batman are, are a step 
or two ahead of them every time. One of the elements of the storyline I found persuasive is that the evil Batman, while corrupted, had Bruce Wayne's knowledge of the Justice League and his talent for planning. As a result, measures that seem like they should work instead play into the ha- the hands of the enemy because the nightmare Batman are also are, are able to anticipate them. Even Superman's desperate attempt to rescue the real Batman from the dark multiverse ends up contributing to Earth sinking down into the darkness, although it also ends up leaving Batman and Superman free inside the dark multiverse. At this point, Dream appears and gives the pair of heroes what he calls the most powerful weapon in all the creation. A story I am not sure whether the authors intended it, but I can hear echoes of J.R.R. Tolkien's thoughts here from On Fairy Stories, where he proposes that God saves us by a story. I love that. I love this one about Tolkien. We learn that the core of the dark multiverse is the world forge, where new worlds are created and also where the unstable worlds are supposed to be returned to their heart of creation to be remade. However, that is not happening. Instead of the nightmare worlds being reforged, they are lingering and uh, and the forge is going dark. Dream tells them tells them he can give them a passage to the world forge, but only if they can walk with hope and wonder. Batman, however, has experienced his days in the dark multiverse as 30 years of failure and mistakes. Initially, he doubts as to whether he has hope left. Superman, while never, to my knowledge, an allegory or symbol of Christ, is a type of Christ. In the same sense that Old Testament Figures such as Moses or David are types of Christ. Okay, let me go back again. This is interesting how we start. Superman, will, while never to my knowledge an allegory or symbol of Christ, he is a type of Christ. Okay, I can agree with that. In the same sense that Old Testament figures such as Moses or David are types of Christ, characters that exist for their own reason, but that also foreshadow or echo another uh, another reality. Kal-El comes to earth from above, but raised in a normal human family. He lives humbly among humans, but also possesses immense power. He engages in cosmic struggles of good versus evil and sacrifices himself to save the world. But in the comics and in the DC extended universe, he dies and is, and is resurrected. As such, Superman is a sense rep- but represents the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. In Man of Steel, he tells Lois Lane that the symbol on his chest means hope. On his world, Superman's iconography is bright colors and bold stances. He is faith and hope because he ins- he inspires people to believe, and he is he is charity in his relentless and self self selfless pursuit of be of of uh, helping others. This is getting fun. 
Batman, on the other hand, is the cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Prudence because Batman has a plan for everything. Justice because he stands for a strict moral code and making things right. Fortitude because he consistently and courageously stands against overwhelming odds, against be, uh, against beings who are much more powerful than he is. Temperance because of a, a, for a mortal man to do all all that would require intense self-discipline. Remember in the um, Julian Sakam, um, uh, when he mentioned it, Superman protects Gotham, uh, protects the city from from outside, while Batman battles the evil from within. Superman battles the evil from without, and uh, Superman battles the evil from without, and Batman battles the evil from within. We have to learn to acknowledge these things. These are part of us. When we fight these things, and I think this is what I think what was wrong about the Alan Moore. Uh, Alan Moore really, I, I don't know. I don't think he really wants to acknowledge these Christian virtues. A lot of his writing often really, I always felt like in his Watchmen and his other writings, he tends to make things ugly. Because I don't think he really... Um, because he he te- he claims he's a pagan. He he practices some kind of witchcraft or something. I don't know. I mean, today if you look at his picture, he still scares he still scares the heck out of me. Um, and he doesn't write anymore for comics for some reason. But it doesn't matter. But the point is, we have to. People want these virtues. The writers, whether they are they acknowledge the Christian faith or practice the Christian faith or practice Catholicism, if you never notice, art always goes back to Catholic symbols. It always tends to go back to these symbols. This is something that we see that in movies. Even Protestants, sometimes when they do exorcism films or something, they always go back to stained glass windows, crucifixes, rosaries, uh, communion chalices, and symbols of the Eucharist. Um, angels and other symbols that that because Protestants doesn't have these artistic things they rejected they threw it out the window when they broke away from the catholic church art needs to have some kind of expression catholicism and orthodoxy always has art as a sacramental expression all right let's um let's go back and we'll look at this again. Batman, on the other hand, is the cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Prudence because Batman has a plan for everything. Justice because he stands for strict moral code and making things right. Fortitude because he cons- consistently and courageously stands against every uh, overwhelming odds and against being beings who are much more powerful than he is. Temperance because for, for mortal man, to do all that would require intense self-discipline. In the core of metal, Superman fulfills his mythic role, asking Batman what still fills him with wonder and restoring hope to him, almost like an infused virtue with hope reignited. Batman's human virtues also return and he and Superman do head to the world forge. However, the world forge seems to have gone dark Batman responds that he will not lose hope again. Batman's perseverance and courage change the dynamics, inspire others, 
and help redeem a fallen hero. The conclusion plays off the ideas of Batman and he and and the redeemed character as detective, always seeking the truth, but also holding the holding hope that discovery does not lead back to dark to the darkness. Overall, I loved Metal. If you liked Snyder's previous work on Batman, or if you enjoy Justice League stories with big cosmic threats, you should try it. In addition, Metal was clearly designed to set up some changes and expansions in a DC cosmology. So if you are continually continuity buff, um, so if you are a continu- continuity buff, it is required reading. As for as far as cautious, there is some implied strong language at a few points and some slightly disturbing violent imagery. Perhaps most worth noting are the Nightmare Batman as corrupted versions of a character that we that we are used to associating with justice and commitment to not killing the evil action of these nightmare bat batmen are particularly jarring i would re- recommend the story for a sen- i would not recommend a story for a sensitive or less mature reader however the idea is that the great evil is from corruption of the greater good and and that our greatest enemy might be corrupted versions of ourselves are right. Mature readers might thus find this to be among the more compelling parts of the story for them. I I recommend the tie-in Dark Knights Rising, which gives an origin story to each of the Nightmare Batmen. G.K. Chesterton said that fairy tales do not tell children that the dragons uh, do not tell children that the dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. Likewise, many of us have felt that the darkness exists. As a combat veteran, I have stories that remind us to keep hope in the midst of darkness are needed. For me, Dark Knight's Metal was one of these. I like the way he writes. He writes very good. So again, this is Matthew Heffron as he's an Iraq war veteran and he lives with his wife and eight kids in a, in St. Paul, Minnesota and loves Catholic tradition, practicing martial arts, riding motorcycles and superheroes. Um, it's really, it's really, it's, it's really very good. I like it. This is a very good one. And uh, his article writings is great. I mean, like, I love these Voyage comic uh, reviews, and uh, they're really good. Okay, so, um, the the point is, is that I think that comic book writers and comic book publishers have to, they have to stick to these, I think, core important themes. You can explore new possibilities of telling stories. And I think that's good. It's good in itself. And I think we should we should tell these stories, but we should have to remember have to remember what makes a hero a hero. All right. What makes a hero a hero and what makes um what makes these characters important. Why do we go back to these um, these Christ-like biblical elements? Why do we go to these virtues? 
And I think that's important because or else you will never tell a good story. You will never be able to tell a good story at all. Going to these um, political, ideological, social justice elements does not help. What it is, is basically a corruption of it. Uh, Social justice, Marxist elements are basically a corruption of justice. A corruption of the good. Yesterday's articles, the articles about um, pointing to Thomas Aquinas, about that we we seek the ultimate good. We seek to be perfect. Batman is always looking to be perfect. He's always about going against his fears, going against the evil. He's always about battling the evil from within. And Superman is about battling the evil from without. Both are important. Discipline and hope. Batman knows that these temptations, because Gotham City is always corrupted from within. There's an evil that keeps coming out. Every city has a personality. London has a personality. New York has a personality. New York has... I think in many cases, like Manhattan, is always about the arts. It's always about power and money, right? And a lot of times in the art world, they uh, the modern art world, they tend to wanna to wanna uh, to cast aside uh, always beauty without God, to cast God aside, beauty without hope. You know, you go to museums. Museums have good and, and a good and bad side to them. And one end, they have the history, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art is an encyclopedia about art, an encyclopedia about history. And it makes a passive acknowledgement about faith, like the Christian faith, or you have the galleries about Islam, right? You might have, you might go to the ancient Near East and it might make a passive acknowledgement about Judaism, And they always tend to want to take these virtues, these beauties, the aesthetic, but they want to strip them of what what these artworks ultimately mean. People love Gothic medieval symbols. They love images, Christian images, but they often, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge the faith. So they, they, they want to acknowledge beauty without God. And beauty without God is meaningless. You need to have God. A a Christian looks at an artwork and sees the faith. If they're knowledgeable about the Christian faith, they know the real meaning of it. Like every year, the Metropolitan puts up the Christmas tree. It's a Neapolitan Christmas tree. This is a good example. You have a beautiful, fantastic Christmas tree with all these individual angels made of terracotta, fantastic works of art. In the bottom, you'll have the image of the nativity, you'll have the wise men, you'll have the shepherds, you'll have little town of Bethlehem in a more like a, a medieval Italian kind of idea of what Bethlehem would have looked like. And everybody comes and stands at that Christmas tree. Everybody comes and stands at that Christmas tree and they look at it. Do you think everybody there shares the same view about the Christian faith? No. Some people may not even have any desire to acknowledge the Christmas, uh, the Christian faith. 
Other people may have nostalgic memories of their childhood. Other people would probably not so much nostalgic memory, but they'll focus on on what the meaning of the incarnation is. You might get one or two Christians, Orthodox Christians, Roman Catholics, Protestants, and they'll they'll it'll make them think about Christ. They'll they'll recall scripture passages, they'll recall the meaning of it. Now, other people might want to look at the Christmas tree as completely aesthetic, beautiful, but they don't want to acknowledge God. So who do you think has more weight? Who do you think will actually understand the real meaning of it? I would say, I would point to, I would relate to someone like myself who understands the meaning of the incarnation, who understands the meaning of what Christ came into the world, who understands that he came into the world to save us from our sins, to to save us, to redeem us, to redeem us, to save us from damnation, from spiritual death, to redeem the world, to redeem creation. To redeem what God has made, to, to 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 take it back, to pay the price with his with his blood, with his body, with his sacrifice. Now that is very important to me. And so I would understand why the artist did it the way he did, why it was designed the way he did it. It might have been, it might be ideal iconography it might have been you know very picturesque but the point is there is meaning to it the story of god and the story of humanity god saving humanity so we we know like i said these the virtues are going to be more important they're weapons of spiritual survival they're weapons they're important meanings to me christ gave us these virtues the virtues of temperance and discipline and fortitude, you know, and, and, you know, uh, self-control, all these particular things that he mentioned in this writing, they're all important to us. And this is what I think comic book writers and comic book people have to remember. You want to bring people back, you know, you got to focus on these, you know, the, these important elements Tolkien understood what they meant. He understood. That's why people love the Lord of the Rings. You know, this is why people love reading King, go back to King Arthur over and over again. This is why people read comics because they need these new mythologies, but they need to have, they need to see these, these important elements. But if you keep pushing your characters to left-wing ideology, Sorry, I, 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 I don't think I'm going to pick up those comics. Not that I am going to go read this, this death, um, this um, death metal, whatever um, comics. Um, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to read them. But I do believe I've had enough already. I think with the with the modern superhero, um, I'm ready to. I'm ready to part ways with them. But I'm not. I'm not parting with comics. I think we need. To, to really bring, um, I think we Christians need to, st- uh, Catholics, we need to step into the arena 
and start producing real, beautiful uh, stories. I think I think it's time we do that. I think, you know, um, I think we're ready. I think we're ready to take that front stage, and not corny Christian stories, not like those, um, what do you call it, left behind series. But I thought I think more depth, more, more real plots lines. I think and stuff that I think uh, is not corny or cardboard cut out. You know, I think we I think we can do this, and I think you know, and I'm you know I'm I'm not saying you shouldn't read comics. Uh, you read the superhero comics. I probably might pick up a f- one or two, but I just don't want to spend my money doing it anymore. Like um, the trade paperback, I think is the new thing now. But I I, you know, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to. I think I I just want to do my own stories, and I'm hoping I'll I'll get a chance to publish them, but. Anyway, this was good. I like these articles. I think they're great. Um, so I might come back with a part three. We'll see. Okay. I think these Voyage articles and these Crisis um, mag- um, crisis Magazine articles are great. There's another one I want to do from The Crux. It's about Pope Francis. It's five articles. And about and I don't know. I got to read them first to see if they're worth doing. But I, I don't know. I have to really find out about them because I got to take my time. There's a lot of them, and I'm hoping to do it soon. But I might come back with uh, more about these Voyage comics. All right, these Voyage comics articles. All right. Thanks, and uh, I'll, hopefully we'll be back soon. God bless.